0: This morning we are going to continue our work through a sermon series we are doing at the end of 1 Kings and we'll continue into 2 Kings. Uh it's, it's entitled it, In Need of a Prophet. And uh, we are continuing looking at that now, picking up at the beginning of chapter 22. We're going to get introduced to the next major story in this section. If you'd like to look at the first 12 verses in your pew Bibles, that can be found on page number 358. Otherwise, the words will be on the screen behind me, and you can follow along there. Again, from 1 Kings chapter 22, the first 12 verses. For three years, Syria and Israel continued without war. But in the third year, Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, came down to the king of Israel and the king of Israel said to his servants, Do you know that Ramath Gilead belongs to us? And we keep quiet and do not take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. And he said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to battle at Ramath Gilead? And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people, my horses as your horses. And Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, inquire first for the word of the Lord. Then the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, shall I go to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? And they said, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. But Jehoshaphat said, is there Not here another prophet of the Lord, of whom we may require? And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imla. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. Then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting in their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance to the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canana, Canana, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord. With these you shall push the Syrians until they are destroyed. And all the prophets prophesied so and said, Go up to Ramath-Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into the hand of the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I mentioned before I read the text, we are calling this sermon series In Need of a Prophet. And as I've mentioned before, the role of a prophet was to represent God to the people, to bring the word, the message of the Lord, to bear on the lives, the choices, and the decisions of his human subjects. And while in Scripture the word of the Lord is very clearly spelled out for us in many different ways, it's abundantly clear that we are not to steal, We don't have to make much choices. The word of the Lord is clear on what we should be doing with ourselves on the Sabbath. There is clear guidance on whether or not we should be killing other people. The Bible spells that out with much clarity and directness. And yet, those aren't the only issues in our life. And the word of a prophet is especially needed when we come up to those other things that we wonder about. When I graduate high school, what college am I supposed to attend? Is this person someone who I should date? And when I start dating them, are they the right person to marry or should I break this relationship off? Is that a job I should pursue or a, an advancement that I should reach for or, or not? Or Is this a business relationship I should enter, to, enter into? Is now the time to have children or should we continue to wait? And should we pursue uh, adoption or all of these issues in life? Those bear upon us, but there's no scripture that we can go to to answer those questions. Unfortunately, I can't turn to the book of Dave Vandermule chapter 45, verses 7, to see, okay, this is the decision I need to make about this or that, and neither can you. So we need a prophet And in those situations, the question that often gets asked is, how do I know what God's will is for this decision? How do I hear his voice so that I can wisely choose and act in response to it? Well, while those are issues for us, a big concern and an issue that we've seen happen over and over again in the Old Testament is, well, when do we go to war and how do we execute that? And as we saw just a few chapters ago in chapter 20, when Israel was in a very tough situation and the nation of Syria was pressing upon them, even without pursuing it or asking for it, The word of the Lord was sent to Ahab through a prophet. And that prophet brought a promise that despite the incredible odds against them, Israel would win the battle. And he brought a plan how to engage in that battle so the victory would be won. Also with the purpose that Ahab would come to know that the Lord is the one true God. And the promise was true. The plan worked, which is what happens when you follow God's commands. But despite that, Ahab did not bend his heart to the Lord. And then after a second battle, instead of killing the king of Assyria, Ahab made a treaty with him. And we heard the content of that treaty at the end of 1 Kings 20 in verse 34, when Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, said, The cities that my father took from your father I will restore. And you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus, as my father did in Samaria. And while that promise and that peace was held and kept the two nations at peace with one another for three years, in that promise is part of the problem that introduces chapter 22, because it's abundantly clear that Ben-Hadad did not Surrender all of the cities that his father had taken from Israel back into the hands of the Israelites. And particularly, one city on the eastern, uh, far eastern part of Israel that was neighboring with Syria, Ramoth Gilead, had not been handed back over. And this was a big deal. Ramoth Gilead was a city located on a very important trading route where many goods would come from their east and make their way into Israel and other northern nations above them. And so Ahab, you can understand why, really wanted this city back. And so before he goes to to reclaim that city and fulfill the promise that Ben-Hadad had made, feeling confident because of his previous victories, he enlists the help of the king of Judah, that sister nation to Israel, Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat, and I keep switching back and forth, but Jehoshaphat was identified in Scripture as a good king. A descendant of David sitting on his throne, he was one of the few of the kings of Judah and Israel that often did seek to do the will of the Lord, which creates a problem right away in our text for Ahab because before Jehoshaphat wants to move forward with this plan of Ahab, he wants to inquire first for the word of the Lord. He has heard Ahab's plan, but he wants to know what's God's will for this? Will it be successful? or not. I appreciated the commentary that likened this scene to a a Christian that's at a party full of non-Christians, and before they eat, they insist that, well, let's say grace. And all of a sudden, everyone kind of looks around. Ahab sort of knew the routine, the process. He was aware of what it meant to consult prophets, but he didn't seem quite ready, and it is a loss for what to do to this request from Jehoshaphat. But we are told that Ahab gathered 400 prophets to ask them, shall I go to the battle against Ramoth Gilead or shall I refrain? And a lot of things are immediately revealed right in that little bit of a text. First of all, notice that we've heard of Ahab gathering prophets before at the battle at Mount Carmel. And in fact, that number, 400, seems very familiar. At Mount Carmel, there were supposedly 450 prophets of Baal who were killed after Mount Carmel, but they also mentioned 400 prophets of Asherah that never really seemed to have shown up. And that leads a lot of commentators to suggest that these 400 prophets may be prophets of Asherah who Ahab has invited to give consultation for. Secondly... Also, pay attention to the way that Ahab frames the question. It's typical to Ahab. There's a lot of eyes. Should I go up to battle against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? He doesn't ask, what's the will of the Lord for this situation? But with one voice, these 400 prophets say, go up, for the Lord will give it into the hand of the king. Which leads to another thing to point out. In our Bibles, you will notice that that word Lord there in verse 6 in the report of these prophets is spelled capital L, lowercase O-R-D, which is the ESV's translator's way of letting us know that this is a translation of the Hebrew word Adonai, a more general term for Lord, not a specific term to the God of the Israelites. Jehoshaphat notices a bunch of these things. And so in verse 7, having seen this parade of 400 prophets and hearing their report, he asks Ahab, is there not here another prophet of the Lord of whom we may inquire? And in that question in verse 7, you will notice that there, Lord is spelled capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which again is the translator's way of letting us know that in this case, they are translating the word Yahweh, I am, the one true Lord, the name he gave himself to Moses at the burning bush. So, yes, Jehoshaphat has heard what these prophets have had to say, but he wants to know what is the will of the Lord? And that's when Ahab confesses a few things. First, yes. He says, there is yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, a man named Micaiah. This is the only time we're introduced to Micaiah, but what we find in this is that sad reality that of all of the prophets who God had given to Ahab, that his Work and his wife Jezebel's work to kill and eliminate the prophets of the Lord in their nation have been rather successful. And while there is still Elijah around, he's not at the call of Ahab, and there is just one person, yet one, that Ahab can ask. And then he says, but he doesn't want to call him, because he hates this prophet. He always says bad things about Ahab. And here, we see the ongoing problem. Ahab doesn't see the word of the Lord as something that is given to guide and to lead. To lead Ahab toward doing the right and the good thing in life. Instead, Ahab is selfish. We learned that in chapter 21 when he claimed that vineyard that clearly did not belong to him using underhanded and murderous ways in order to achieve that. Ahab is not worried about what is true and what is right given from the voice of the one who created the universe. What he's worried about is, is this word going to support me or not? And so when God's word doesn't align with what Ahab wants, Then he takes that personally. God's just against him. God doesn't like me. So I'm not going to listen. Who, after all, is God to tell Ahab how he should govern the nation? But Jehoshaphat convinces him to go and get Micaiah. And in the meantime, while they wait, another prophet, Zedekiah in a very dramatic way, takes some horns of iron that he had made and, and, and says again in this incredible demonstration of prophetic action that Ahab is going to be successful. This time, speaking in the name of the Lord, capital O-R-D. And that's going to lead to some interpretation struggles we're going to have a little bit later as we continue on in this chapter as we address in a later sermon. I just wanted to give you a heads up on that a little bit to begin with. But, in the end... All the prophets agree. They say that the Lord is going to bless this war and is going to let Ahab prosper in this battle for Ramoth Gilead, and so he should move forward. But as we already know, because we've had two prophets now, one in chapter 20, and then Elijah in chapter 21 tell Ahab that his reign is going to come to a disastrous end and ruin, we know that this battle is not going to be successful. And in knowing that, that leads us to the whole crux of this passage and the issue that is at hand. Throughout his entire life, Ahab has demonstrated a hatred for the word of the Lord. He didn't seek it. He didn't want to hear it. And when he did hear it, his usual response was to be frustrated by what he heard, to take it as a personal attack and to sulk and be angry when it wasn't what he wanted to hear. And because of that, these prophets were not trying to tell Ahab the truth They were trying to tell him what he wanted to hear. I entitled this sermon, Confirmation Bias. Confirmation bias is a term that is used that describes the situation that when we make choices and decisions in our lives, instead of looking at and analyzing things objectively like we all assume we do, we have a tendency to highlight, collect, and remember facts that support our preconceived notions and ideas about how the world works and what we want to do, while at the very same time ignoring, forgetting, or dismissing anything that would challenge or contradict that idea. And therefore, we have a tendency to be overly affirmed in the choices that we make because all that we heard or remember hearing was stuff that supports what we wanted to hear from the very beginning, and we've dismissed All of the things that we didn't want to hear. Researchers in different scientific fields have to be very careful and aware of this problem. Many people have pointed out how social media and the algorithms that they run have added to this problem in our current culture, constantly pushing us in one direction and surrounding us with affirming voices. And I think Ahab demonstrates a classic example of confirmation bias in our text, and it is something that we all need to be very careful with in our lives. I said that this sermon series is framed by the struggles and the difficulties that we see in our culture, in our churches, and in our own lives. And one of the major problems that we see in the Christian church right now is that there are a lot of people that know what they want to do with their lives. And even if they know that what they want to do is something that God has specifically said is something they ought not to do, they will try to find a way to justify it. To find a confirmation bias. And so they will look for and find and listen for Christian teachers or or podcasts that say, you know what God said in his word there? Well, that's not what God meant. I have a new interpretation. And if we twist the language and the wording of scripture, what he says is actually the opposite of what he meant. And so you are free to go and do what your heart wants to do. Now, as soon as I say that in general, I know that there are certain things and issues in our world that pop into our mind that are prone to that type of teaching. But I will say clearly that I left that intentionally vague and and, uh, general because that's an issue that all of us have struggled with. That when there is something in our sinful hearts that we want to do, very often we will look for and find a way to confirm it, to justify it, and to move forward with it, regardless of what God's will is for our lives. It is playing out of what was warned in Scripture in 2 Timothy 4.3 when Paul warns Timothy, For the time is coming... When people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Like Ahab, instead of looking for what is right and what is wrong according to the will and the word of the Lord, the God that created all that exists and continues to uphold and control all things, What we are doing is looking for support for the things that we wanted to do anyway and are likely to move forward with that we just want to justify. Now that's the negative side of things, but that still leads back to that big question I started with. When we are confronted with choices in our lives, how do we know what God's will for that is? How do we hear his voice, especially when there is no Dave Vandermule in chapter 45, verse 7 to tell us Well, let me offer a few things in regard to that, and I'm not able to say nearly as much as I'd like to on this topic, but it at least will address and introduce some of the things. First of all, I always say that you have to start with knowing the clear voice of God as revealed and spoken in Scripture. This is where we hear God clearest. This is where we learn what God's voice sounds like. And while there is no part of the Bible that tells you who to date or what job you should be pursuing, there are principles in this about dating in general and about work in general. And when you hear those general terms as revealed in Scripture, you are then better able to apply those general principles in Scripture to the specifics and particulars of your life. You are better able to hear the verse, the voice of the Lord and the prompting of the Spirit in the world around you and in your friends as they speak into your decisions because you've heard already the voice of the Lord in Scripture. And so, get used to hearing the voice of the Lord there, and you will better be able to hear it in your life. I think that fits very well to one of my favorite texts that I like to go when people ask this question. It's Romans 12, verse 2. And I I much prefer the old NIV translation that I'll quote here. It says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. I've always understood that test to ask the question, who are you listening to? Don't conform your life to the culture that's pulling you away from the Lord, but transform your heart through the renewal of your mind, spending time in scripture, and that is when you will be able to hear God's voice clearest. I believe that the opposite of that is also true, by the way. I already spoke of itching ears, but the Bible often also talks about a condition called calloused hearts. We know what a callous is, right? It's when your skin gets rubbed over and over again in the same spot so that it develops thickness and rigidness and becomes much less sensitive to touch and interaction. Well, when we, like Ahab, hear God's word over and over again in his clear instructions in our lives, but then over and over again choose to ignore that word and to dismiss it. When we are tempted and, and we feel the Holy Spirit pricking at our conscience and then we tell the Spirit, no, just, just leave us alone. I'm going to do this. We can get calloused hearts hearts that are far less sensitive to hearing the word of the Lord. And if we are constantly telling God to keep quiet when we don't want to hear what he is telling us, then we're going to be much less able to hear what he's telling us when we want his guidance and his direction. And again, the answer is the same. The surest way to hear God's voice is to be in the habit of listening to his voice and submitting to it when you hear it as revealed in Scripture. And the great promise of Jesus, the one who always listened to and lived according to the word of the Lord, as said in Matthew 7, 7 to 8, is, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, Receive and the one who seeks finds and the one who knocks it will be opened. Now in all of that, let me say just a bit of an aside. When you are dealing with decisions about like what college to attend or what job to go to, I do believe that God would be pleased If you went to multiple colleges, and it is not in a situation where if you choose the wrong college that your life is forever going to be altered because you got off of the path of God's will. We shouldn't worry about that too, too much. But what I am saying, and what I do want you to hear, the point that I want to emphasize this morning is for us to be weary of that natural sinful tendency to just look for justification for what we want to do. To be weary of the fact or or careful with the fact that, one, oftentimes we get so caught up in our lives and our day-to-day work where when we have a choice before us, regardless of the impact, we're not even asking, what might God's will be for this? And like Jehoshaphat, we need to slow down and ask, God, what do you want from me in this decision? But then secondly, to also be very alert to the fact that to be careful of yourself and your own heart and to not just look for things that are justifying what you want to do anyway but to humbly as we heard in the call to worship submit ourselves and saying god i'm not going to ask just ask what you want but when you give guidance that i will do again throughout our sermon series in the book of john that we did not all that long ago what we saw over and over again in the person of jesus was a dedicated desire to live according entirely to the will of the lord and i pray that that's exactly how all of us live our lives searching and living for obedience to god's will rather than just doing what we want toward that end let's have a word of prayer father in heaven the problems of our culture is a problem of us individually That in our sinful nature, there are things that our heart wants. And we want it, oftentimes in contradiction to what your will reveals and commands. And all of us have been too quick to ignore your word. All of us have been too quick to tell the prompting of your Holy Spirit to be quiet in our lives. All of us have been too quick to find ways to justify our actions rather than humbly submitting to your will and to your way. May that change. And as we saw baptisms today and heard professions of faith, steps of of new journeys of faith, I pray that we would again renew our desire to submit to you in all that we do, that we would truly surrender to you as our Lord, that we would not only seek the truth of your ancient words, but we would live in light of them, asking that you, O Lord, would guide us in all that we do. This we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.